We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always, my co-host Nick Bellato. And tonight we're here to recap day one of the NFL Draft 2023 for the New York Football Giants. We will probably wrap this show up, depending on time, with a, a few guys we're keeping our eye on for day two tomorrow. And we'll talk a little bit about a report from Ryan Dunleavy, who said, keep an eye on the Giants for trading up again, this time in round two. Uh, he mentioned somewhere in the mid-40s. The Giants are picking at 57. So we'll discuss that at the end of the show as well. But tonight we're here to talk about day one for the New York Giants, and we will discuss the entirety of the first round, look at a few things like what positions went off the board, surprises, interesting developments, a lot of trades. I mean, I thought it was so interesting. Going into this draft, I heard uh, Rick Spielman or one of the former GMs who does podcasts now say, like, most of the trades you're going to see are going to happen. They're going to be agreed on before the draft. I feel like that wasn't the case in this draft. There were a lot of on-the-fly trades by these GMs, though. Giants GM Joe Shane did mention after the draft that he had discussed the trade with Jacksonville before the draft and the parameters were in place. If Joe Shane felt like he needed to move up that one spot with Jacksonville, we'll talk about that trade as well. Cause I thought it was interesting to move up one spot in general in a draft. I just, it's, it's, it's interesting to me to say the least, um, but can't bury the lead. Nick, the giants got Deontay banks, a cornerback who made my, my guys lists. We recorded that show three days ago. We discussed him on the podcast we did a week or two before that when we talked about the cornerbacks who we would be willing to or wanting to take in round one. He made that list as well. He also is a player who I felt like, and you could challenge me on this or maybe you disagree or disagree, I don't know. I felt like he was one of the close to blue chip players in this class. Like There weren't that many blues in this class. Like To me, there was... It's very close, and I think a fair case to be made that he was a blue chip. I mean, just from an athletic standpoint, Nick, this is a rare breed. He's the third most athletic cornerback to enter the draft since 1987 out of 2,222 So That's pretty insane numbers right there. So I got to be honest, for me, this is a massive, massive home run pick. How are you feeling about this? It's a grand slam. It's not a home run, Dan. It's a grand slam. How many times on this podcast did we say – Oh, Deontay Banks isn't going to be there at 25. But we would always be like, yeah, crazier things could happen. Who knows? And he was sitting there at 24. And Joe Shane said, look, we were going to trade up. We just saw four receivers go consecutively. Before, before that, Emmanuel Forbes and Christian Gonzalez went off the board. They wanted to secure their guy. I respect that decision. I know it's not always the most popular decision, but I'm ecstatic about this pick of Deontay Banks. Like you said, uber athletic, can play press man, has played press man. Some of the drawbacks are just like, 
his right shoulder that he hurt. I believe it was his right one. And that the fact that he was kind of a one-year wonder, if you want to say that, because he missed the entire 2021 season. But as long as that checked out medically, this is a home run pick for the New York Giants. We knew they needed a cornerback and they got one that we didn't even believe would be there. This was my third cornerback in this draft class. I had him higher than Joey Porter Jr. And I didn't consider him a blue chip because of the medical and because of the one-year aspect mm-hmm. to his profile. But I loved his tape. And he was one of those guys that I said when I first watched, this is a Schneier guy right here. You're going to love him. And you did. And I'm so glad he's a New York Giant. Yeah, this was really exciting for me because it's definitely a player that I wanted in this draft. I would say he's probably the ideal home run pick. I mean, look, when Christian Gonzalez was falling in the draft and, J- and, J- and Jackson Smith and Jigba, I changed my mind a little bit. Those two were by far the top two on my board, but they go off at 17 and 20. The Giants didn't really realistically have a chance to get either one. If you're going to move up from 25 to 20 or 25 to 19 or 18 or 16, whatever it would be to get either of those two players, now you're talking, you're definitely giving up a, a third round pick, probably a second round pick, to be honest. That's a lot of draft capital. If you look at the trade value chart to move up from 25 to 24 the giants gave up a fifth round pick and a seventh round pick we'll get a little bit into that uh shortly but for me the reason this is such a slam dunk grand slam home run whatever you want to call it pick is because i felt pretty strongly that cornerback was by far and away the giants biggest need on the roster i know you agree with me on that yeah i think that objectively speaking there's not really much debate if we're going to be honest. Adore Jackson, not signed long-term. They didn't restructure that contract. They didn't extend it. In my mind, that means maybe they'll give him a prove-it year to stay healthy, but in all reality, he was signed by the former regime. He's had a massive injury history. He's getting older. Good GMs don't really invest too much in older, older corners with injury histories. I don't think he's here for long. So they really needed to take a swing on potential cornerback one. They couldn't just put all their chips in the Amani O basket, right? Or, you know, Cordell Flott developing right away in year one, or I'm sorry, year two, or Aaron Robinson off a major injury. So they really needed this from a need standpoint. And the second factor for me, Nick, is watching Wink Martindale, right? Now, listen, you could see it. When the Giants drafted Deontay Banks, Martindale was ecstatic. He hugged Joe Shane. He was like losing his mind there. And after that, they asked Joe Shane in the presser, like, what happened there? Why? What happened with Wink? Why was he? What We saw him. He was so excited. And he was like, this dude, Banks, fits what Mink Martindale wants to do to a T. But I think part of the reaction from Wink is also that, and this goes into what I was saying before, like, not only is corner the number one need based on what they have in the roster, corner is the number one need because I think that Wink got that ecstatic. And this is not to say, like, he didn't get so ecstatic with Kayvon Thibodeau or whatever they got last year, but it wasn't really the same reaction, let's be honest. But I think part of why he got so ecstatic, Nick, is he believes that in his system, cornerback is the most important position by far to actually have the system work the way he wants it to work. You saw it in Baltimore when when he had Marlon Humphrey, Jimmy Smith, and I forget the other corner who was playing at an elite level at the time. Uh, who was the Peters. other one? Marcus Peters. When he had those three corners, that Baltimore defense for a stretch run before those guys got hurt, I think, in that year, was unstoppable. You could not move the ball in the air on that defense. And if you can't move the ball in the air, you're not scoring points. That's the NFL these days. So I know in his heart of hearts, corner is not only the biggest need on the roster, just looking at what's left depth chart-wise, it's the biggest need to take this defense to the next level. So the opportunity to get a guy with all the athletic traits who he says fits his system to a T – that's big. Now, I think that Banks will take some time, and I'm curious to get your take on this, Nick. Not just because he was a one-year wonder, but I just think corners in general. Like, someone texted me right yeah. after the draft. They were like, oh, I'm kind of pissed. I want a wide receiver. But you know what? If he can have a Sauce Gardner-like impact, I'm pumped. I'm like, pump the brakes, man. Pump the freaking brakes. Sauce Gardner was maybe the best corner in the NFL last year. You're not going to get a Sauce Garner at 25 overall in any class. You're not going to get a Sauce Garner at four overall, one overall in most classes. The norm is Derek Stingley Jr. That's the normal career arc 
in year one for a cornerback, right? Like, oh, he had some ups. He had some downs. Sauce Gardner is a straight anomaly. You don't see that that often. Like Patrick Sertan had a really good rookie season as well. Wasn't as good as Sauce Gardner. Sauce Gardner was, you could argue, the best cornerback in football last year. You're not getting that at 25 or really in many draft classes in the top five. Yeah, exactly. And you shouldn't expect that, and that's okay. And to answer his question, it's like, I don't think you were getting, like, you wanted receiver. I understand you were a diehard receiver guy. But you weren't going to get that from Addison. You weren't going to get that from Zay Flowers. These dudes weren't going to step in and have a Jamar Chase like impact in year one. They're five foot nine, six foot one seventy three. Like what we got to you know pump the brakes a little on that idea as well. Maybe JSN could have done. I don't know. But even then, I don't really feel as confident. And to me, with Deontay Banks, I think just looking at the position overall, and kind of like what you said, he's a little bit of a one year wonder. Obviously, the injury history. There is a chance that this could be like a rough patch start for the Giants with Banks. I, I don't think that's out of the question. But I know for a fact you put him on the field right now, Nick, and he's going to allow Wink Martindale, in my opinion, to do different things schematically than he was able to do last year with Fabian Moreau and Nick McLeod on the field because simply put, there's a different level of athleticism on the field now. If you're a coordinator, you can feel a little bit more comfortable leaving a corner on an island with 4-3-5 40-yard speed like he has. And Joe Shane said they timed him at 4-3-2. I always find that funny how like the Giants have their own stopwatches and like, yeah, yeah, it said 4-3-5. We don't care. We had our stop. Our stopwatch at 4-3-3-2. Like, it's just like, who cares anyway? It's like a matter of 0.3, but either way, they had him stopped at that. And regardless, the point is he has obvious speed, insane explosive jumps, insane, good 10 yards, really good 10 yards split as well. Like it's a different level of athlete they have on the field over anyone, but maybe a fully healthy Adore Jackson. I'd even argue like, at least, you know, you look at the testing wise, this is maybe a better athlete they have on the field than even Adore. Adore is a freak athlete, but even go back to high school with Deontay Banks in 2018. This was somebody who set school records in track, ran a 10, 9, 6, 100 meter, a 22, 44, 200 meter with a high jump of five foot six inches. He's jumping over people over here and a long jump of 22 and eight inches. So this dude can fly through the air. And that's one reason why he ended up having this crazy explosive testing, a 42 inch vert and 11, four broad jump. I'm ecstatic about the fact that we added him, but I'm right there with you. I think a lot of these cornerbacks are going to struggle in year one. Like I love Emmanuel Forbes. Anybody who listens to this podcast knows I love Emmanuel Forbes. He's going to struggle in year one at 166 pounds, more right. than likely. There aren't a lot of sauce gardeners out there. That's why he was such a coveted pick who was one pick away from being a New York giant, okay. in my opinion. But hey, I love Kayvon Thibodeau as well. And I'm not going to cry over spilt milk in that situation. The Giants get Deontay Banks. And I really feel like this is um, in the long run going to work out. And the Giants aren't done investing in their secondary. I would not be shocked if they go after a safety. And I also would not be shocked if they draft another cornerback or a slot nickel type later on in the draft as well. Yeah, it's going to be unpopular among fans, but I know with me and you, with you and me, Nick, if 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 uh, the Giants did draft like a DJ Turner or a Julius Brents around two, we wouldn't bat an eye. We'd both be like, it's not maybe not our ideal scenario. It's not my ideal scenario, but listen, you want to build on strength. You want to draft into the strength of this class and you want to get your potential, you know, Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Peters and Jimmy Smith type situation like Wink had. I'm not going to hate that because I do believe corner is one of the most important positions in the NFL in today's game. I believe it's even made even more important by the division they play in right now with the Eagles and the Cowboys adding Brandon Cooks. And obviously the Washington receivers are pretty damn good with Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson as well. So it wouldn't be crazy. I don't think it's going to happen, but it wouldn't be crazy, Nick. Um, I want to talk about one more thing with, with him. I feel like do you, uh, when it comes to Deontay Banks, do you think that they, 
felt like he was by far and away the best corner on the board. I ask you this because when they made the decision to move up from 25 to 24, giving up a fifth and a seventh round pick, it seemed odd to me at the at first when I when I was just looking at the surface. I'm like, I'm not really used to teams trading up one pick, right? Because essentially when you do that, you're saying, especially if the clock's ticking down, you're saying like, all right, I knew the clock's ticking down on Jacksonville's pick here, but maybe teams are, we know teams are, we think teams are calling them. And if they're calling them, maybe they're calling them to move up for Banks. And we just, can't, at this point, simply can't afford to lose Deontay Banks. Does that confirm to you, because it does to me, that there was a big drop-off on their eyes from Banks to whoever was left? Now, maybe Forbes was in the mix, and he just went earlier than they expected. But Joey Porter Jr., who was sitting on the board and actually didn't go in round one, who you yourself had a, had a lower grade on than most, I feel like. Um, I still think he was your corner four overall, right? But he, but he was. I think there was a drop-off for you there. It, does and it I like you... I like Emmanuel Forbes tape better than Porter, but Porter being the freak size that he was mm-hmm. put him ahead of the 166 pound Emmanuel Forbes. But I, I did like Emmanuel Forbes's tape better than Joey Porter's. It was a good night for you, for, for your evaluations, by the way, Forbes <laughs> Porter, not going in round one. I think there's one more I texted you about. It was a good night for Nick's evaluation, but does that confirm to you? Like it confirmed to me that they really had a different kind of grade on a banks versus a Porter. Well, absolutely in that case, but I think it even goes beyond that. I think the Giants realized that their first round grades were drying up. I think they looked the totality of the draft and who might be available at the end of the first round for them to select. And they're like, there should be value where the wide receiver position is and where the cornerback position is. And when you look at what was going on in this draft before pick 16, right? Before Emmanuel Forbes was selected, you had what, like four offensive tackles selected. You had three quarterbacks left. You had two running backs selected. It was setting up great for the New York Giants where it's like, dude, there's going to be so many players that we're interested in at 25. We don't need to trade up. It's all good. And then what happened after Will McDonald was selected to the New York Jets at pick 15? Emmanuel Forbes and Christian Gonzalez. And then the Lions select Jack Campbell. And you're like, okay. And then Kalijah Kansi, who was a wild card for the New York Giants, goes off the board. And then it's four straight receivers. Four straight receivers. All four the Giants might have been interested in. And then at that point, you're like, dude, Deontay Banks might be our only round one grade left at cornerback wide receiver. Let's just go up and secure him. And I get it. You spent a fifth and a seventh on that. The fifth, that kind of sucks because that could be a player. The seventh is somewhat, you know, you can get that guy in priority free agency maybe. Mm -hmm. But uh, I'm okay with that type of of conviction being showed by the Giants. Like we like this guy. We value him more than anybody else that we have graded at these positions, these priority positions. So we're going to secure him and not allow Jacksonville to trade back. So I'm sure Joe Shane probably had some insight since he did have trade talks with Jacksonville prior that Jacksonville might've been looking to drop back and get extra picks as well. So don't allow any of those teams, Buffalo, Cincinnati, or whoever maybe wanted a cornerback to jump you to get banks, just secure that guy. And I like the conviction there. Yeah. I think what it comes down to Nick is they were running out of first round grains. Like you said, Joe Shane in his presser after the, after the first round even said himself, that he felt like, and it's funny because remember two days ago or whatever it was a week ago when he had that pre-draft presser conference, he was like, nah, we feel pretty confident. We're going to get one of our guys at 25. And I don't think the board fell the way he expected to, despite that all the weird picks that we had that we weren't expecting like Gibbs and, and, uh, and McDonald, go ahead. Well, that's what I'm thinking though. I think some of those players were, were giants were very interested in specifically Emmanuel Forbes, maybe even a Will McDonald and some of these players that we didn't spend too much time talking about, possibly Kalijah Kansi, and they come off the board and it's like, well, we wanted to go with those players. We thought they were going to be available at 25. They didn't, they weren't. So the giants, I don't, I don't think they panicked. I think it was a smart move. I mean, let's go back to what was it? The 
2015 draft with Jerry Reese, when everyone knew that Jerry Reese liked Jack Conklin and everyone knew that Jerry Reese liked Leonard Floyd, somehow that slipped. And what happened? Jerry Reese was sitting there on his hands. Both of those players went off the board. Teams were leapfrogging the New York Giants to select them. And then the Giants were like, oh, well, I guess we'll go with Eli Apple. And then Eli Apple's like, huh, I never talked to the Giants during the pre-draft process. <laughs> it's like, what the hell? Like, you're just going with your highest graded player off the off of tape, I guess. So it was just yeah. a crappy situation. So in this case, it's just like, hey, we like Deontay Banks. He fits our system. Wink Martindale wads him. The coaching staff does have a say in this as well, even though it is Joe Shane's decision. And Joe Shane's like, let's get you a cornerback. Priority position. We know we need it. Here we go. And I absolutely love that decision. Yeah, I think it was the opposite of panic. It was it was preparedness. Like, yeah, he went into this thinking one way, and when he realized and that it wasn't going to be the way, it's kind of like that scene from The Wire with Marlo, where he's like, "You want it to be one way, you're not going to get this reference, but some people will." And, and people, by the way, love that little ether versus takeover breakdown I did a couple of days ago on the pop. People were texting me about, or DMing me about that, and replying to some some threads about that Nick. So that made me feel good about uh, talking a little ether versus takeover. But it reminds me of that scene with 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 Marlo outside the convenience stories like you want to be one way but it's another way and that draft fell another way like you said christian gonzalez was probably in that elite first round grade range for them off the board forbes might have been in that range he even made a little bit of a mention about forbes uh now he might have been just mentioning him to say like oh look he came off the board but he did mention him jsn who fell for a lot further than i ever expected jackson smith and jiggler fall he might have been in the range jordan addison who was very heavily linked to the giants zay flowers maybe even quinton johnston honestly um, and that's such a Chargers pick, by the way. We'll talk about some other picks later, but it's like, see, this dude is just Tom Delesco just needs the receiver to be at least six foot two to be drafted to his team. Like, this is just how he operates. But look, he adjusted to it. And I do like the idea of trading up. So for me, it's like, only reason I had any drawbacks, Nick, is because, so first of all, I expected them fully to trade some of these picks to move up in this draft class because of what Joe Shane at his press uh, said at his presser a week ago. He said, look, we're in a way different position this draft than we were last draft. Last draft, we didn't really have anyone on the roster that we could like on the back end, right? Now we have all these dudes we like on our roster that came out of nowhere and played so well for us. We don't have that many spots to fill. We can't pick 10 players in this class. So I always knew they would trade up and I wanted them to. I just felt like I would have preferred it in day two, either in round two or round three, Nick, where when you move up, you're giving up way less. You're moving, you're getting, you're allowing yourself to move up more spots because obviously just looking at the trade value chart, those second round picks are not worth anything close to the first round picks. That's how they weight them. So it's like maybe they could have gone from 57 to 45, or maybe they could have gone from 57 to 50, and then maybe they could have gone from 89 to 72 for about the same price or something like that. I'm not looking at the trade chart right now, yeah. but the general gist of it. That was kind of my only drawback to that. But think listening to what more of what he said, I started to feel better about it because I feel like he had only a few first-round grades left. Like you said, they were toiling away. He obviously didn't feel the way about Joey Porter that some people do, and Listen, Joey Porter and Deontay Banks are completely different prospects. And I know you agree with that watching the tape. There's just like you can grade them close and people could say, this is my corner three. This is my corner four. But if you have a specific system and a specific idea in mind that obviously Wink Martindale and, and you know, Joe Shane have, then you need to get that specific kind of corner. And Joey Porter is not the same kind of corner as Deontay Banks. So it doesn't surprise me that they have a very different viewpoint on where those guys stack up, Nick. But. One final thing on that that I thought was really interesting that Joe Shane said after. He said one of the reasons we traded up was because the five teams who were lined up or some five of the teams who were lined up after the Giants uh, at 24 
all had top 30 visits with Deontay Banks. And he mm. said, which I never thought he'd say, I didn't think he cared about this stuff. And I'm finding out more and more NFL GMs do care about this stuff. He also said, when you uh, made like three mentions of the mocks, he's like following the mocks. He's like, and if you follow the mocks, there was some like, you know, there was some connections here with Banks to these players. Which I just found so funny. I felt like some of these GMs just don't give a shit about the mocks. And I feel like the mocks in general are BS. Like, as you could see today with all these surprise picks that went off the board. But apparently not. Joe Shane was obviously paying attention to the mocks and paying attention to the top 30 visits. I'm wondering if the if the mocks is something else. Like, is it a mock draft that the Giants are holding themselves in mock scenarios? It. That's more of what I'm thinking. I don't think he's, like, sitting there being like, oh, look, Todd McShay has this, you know? So, yeah, so like, I'm, McShay, I'm thinking, yeah. <laughs> I think it's more, like, mock scenarios and, and things okay. like that. And they're also very just plugged in with stuff like the top 30 visits. Like, Deontay Banks had a top 30 yeah. visit with the New York Giants. There's a lot of guys we're going to go over in a little bit who had top 30 visits with the Giants, who I think the Giants are going to target on day two. Right. I think you could look into some of that stuff. And I think, you know, you, you bring these kids in and I think there is merit to the fact that you might bring these kids in to cross them off your list. But like, you know, he doesn't fit with our culture and all that. You want to get to know him. But in this case, you listen to what Deontay Banks said. He's like, yeah, you know, on our top 30 visit, we went out to dinner. And then I think he said even like a week later, he met up with Jerome Henderson. So, you know, Jerome Henderson probably loved this kid. Right. And Tell me a better coach on the Giants staff in terms of being a positional coach than Jerome Henderson, how much he has maximized so many players throughout his time with Joe Judge and Brian Dayball. And now you give him Deontay Banks. I don't know if he's dealt with an athlete like Deontay Banks other than maybe a Dory Jackson. So I, th I think the there's a lot of upside here. I do. And you know what? Year one, you're right. There might be some struggles. You know, you have a really tough to division. You have AJ Brown, you have CD lamb. You're going to have to guard these guys. Right. It's not easy to do that in year one. You take your bumps, but as long as you're mentally tough and you can overcome that, and there's nothing in Deontay Banks's profile that suggests that he is not, as long as you're mentally tough, then you will overcome that and you'll learn to trust your technique. And then the next thing you know, you're a stud and hopefully we can get, you know, 75% of what the jets got from sauce Gardner, because if you can get that, then you have a pro bowler right there. Yeah. You'll take that any day. And I thought it was really interesting. What, uh, Right, I think it was Emery Hunt said that he was with Ryan Wilson from CBS Sports, um, one of my colleagues over at CBS Sports who runs our NFL, who's like a head of our NFL draft coverage. And he said he was that, that was their favorite interview at the Combine, Deontay Banks, because of one factor, his incredible amount of confidence. And mm. so I felt like that was definitely something interesting to hear. You know, we've talked about this before, Nick. No, there's no position where it's more important to be confident than corner. Now, can that confidence potentially be shaked or shaken if you have, I don't even know if that's the right way to say that. If you have a bad start, yeah, it can be. Like Deontay Banks is confident as hell now. He's like, I'm a lockdown man corner. He even said it to the Giants too in the media. But when you face Jahan Dotson and Terry McLaurin and A.J. Brown and Deontay Smith, like your confidence may be shaken. But it's about can you recover? Can you get that back? And I think he can. I think, like you said, it's really good that he gets Jerome Anderson. It's really good that he gets Wink Martindale, who was just excited. I find it so funny. It's like I feel like every single pick the Giants make in this draft, and this goes for all teams, Nick, it always comes down to, like, a position coach or a coordinator freaking loves this guy. And it's like, who can win out? You know, does Bobby Johnson get to bang the table and get John Michael Schmitz if he loves John Michael Schmitz? Nope, he didn't get him this time. Does, you know, Jerome Henderson get to bang the table and get Deontay Banks? Yeah, he got him. He got him. Or like, you know what I mean? It's like every pick, there's going to be love with the position coach. And it's like, who do you give into if you're Joe Shane? And I think that's the fun part of the draft for sure, Nick. I also thought it was interesting what Joe Shane said. So remember we talked about how he said – um, Look, we were starting, he even said, like, things got tense in that room. Like, our board was starting to evaporate, essentially. Yeah. And you're right, like, a lot of those receivers. But he said, 
you know, and I think part of the reason they traded up was their board was evaporating and they owed a few for more first round grades. And there was only one more first round grade in our premium position corner. And that was Deontay Banks. And that's part of why I like the idea of just getting him no matter what here, especially if you don't view Porter in that sense or Turner, or whoever else is behind him at corner, because he said outside, he didn't stay outside of premium position, but he said, you know, we still had some guys we liked in that range, but they were going to, he said they were not going to be the popular positions. So I thought that was really interesting that he mentioned that. And I wonder if that meant like John Michael Schmitz or Joe Tipman, or it meant like Trenton Simpson or Drew Sanders or a linebacker or like Michael Mayer or Dalton Kincaid. I don't know what that meant, but it meant to, you know, a non-premium position for sure. It also probably meant a position where Giants fans currently think we don't have a need. I would imagine that it meant tight end, center, linebacker, and maybe edge, maybe Miles Murphy. Right. Miles Murphy, I know everyone's like, hey, he's an even front end. Look, that guy is an end in a Wink Martindale system. He's explosive. He is big. He has tiny hands. That's whatever. I think he would have fit well with this defense. But at the end of the day, I'm I'm very happy that the Giants got their cornerback. If it took the fifth round pick, one of their fifth round picks, because they have two and a seventh to trade up to secure it, I'm I'm fine with that. Okay. I, I think you really got a good press man guy who has a ton of upside. And they still have a lot of extra picks, by the way, on day three. So they yeah. like if they do trade back up in round two or round three, either they can dip into those extra picks and really kind of shorten the bench there in day three. And that gives you less swings, though. I don't love that idea fully. Less throws the dartboard. We've already given up two of those throws right now with the fifth and the seventh. Though, like you said, the seventh is basically a priority free agent type of range. But they still have the opportunity that or they can, again, do what Joe Shane also mentioned in his pre-draft presser last week, which is um, dip into those 2024 draft picks, which obviously you and I are not going to be thrilled to do because we cover the team and we want as many picks as we can get. But it's part of the process. If he feels he loves someone, he's falling to like 44, 45 range tomorrow and they're picking at 57. They might just be like, we need this guy. Um, we need to go up and get this guy. And so we'll see what happens there. I will say this. There's there's a bunch of stats that we can talk about, but. We covered it all on a few different podcasts. So if you want to hear more of a breakdown of Deontay Banks from a film standpoint, you can get that on a multitude of podcasts. I would say start with the podcast that that is titled uh, The Cornerbacks We Would Select on Day One. That was when we dove, the, I think, the deepest into him. We also discussed him on our My Guys podcast for defense, which was a few days ago. Uh, and then in my seven-round mock, we did the dueling seven-round mocks, Nick. I got Banks at 25, so I'm one for one on my mock pick. So I'm hoping I can oh, make it yeah. two for two. Though looking back, I don't love my second pick. I traded back uh, a few times. I traded back to 70, and then I got a player who I like, but I, some people didn't like the pick, Chandler Zavala. But I still like Chandler Zavala, and I, I love how he – I just like his – I like his combination of foot speed and physicality. We'll see though. I mean, interior offensive line is definitely something that's on my mind heading into day two, Nick, for sure. Uh, yeah. We'll see if the giants are, are feel the same way about that, Nick. Um, but, but yeah. And so you'll get more of the breakdown there, but I thought one thing that, you know, I didn't discuss as much on either podcast that really stood out to me is bank only had banks only had one missed tackle last season. And that to me is super important in this specific system and in general for the cornerback position, because you're going to be on an Island, especially in this, in a man coverage system, like Wink Martindale, and you're going to be asked to tackle. And we saw a lot of times last year, Dory Jackson did a really good job saving the yes. giants from giving up plays when he would shoot and, and, and make those tackles. And, you know, not to knock the dudes, but we didn't. I feel like we weren't saying that as often for Fabian Moreau or Nick McLeod or even Cordell Flott when he got his chance. So if Deontay Banks can also be a dude who's aggressive in the run game and then a short tackler in the run game, that's going to be a nice upgrade for the Giants. 
Yeah, he's a physical guy, man. And I have a report over at Giants Country. I'll post it on my Twitter at some point if anybody wants to go and read that. I can give you the synopsis if, if you want. I, I have like strengths and weaknesses and all that too. But if anybody wants I'd to read say, it. I'd say do it again because there are there is a potential chance for some people to just be listening to this podcast for the first time. Okay, so I'll start with strengths. You want me to just go through all the strengths, all the weaknesses? Sure. All right, it might be a little long, but here we go. Strengths. <clears throat> An elite, twitchy athlete with excellent explosiveness and good change of direction. Good overall deep speed and acceleration with a second gear. Quick feet with excellent hip fluidity. Solid combination of movement and size. Changes directions well and maintains solid body control. Although his press technique can improve, he's an effective press corner who maximizes his length. Tough punch that sets a tone. Very authoritative. Jam and rides in a harassing manner up the red line, squeezes to the sideline. Gives receivers little breathing room on outside releases. Excellent job mirroring the release of wide receivers. Good ability to restrict space on breaks in man coverage. Gets to that near hip. High upside coverage player who can thrive in man or zone coverage. Stays on the hip of wide receivers on inside breaking routes. Good technique on the horizontal plane to maintain subtle contact and play through the catch point violently. Solid eye discipline in zone coverage. Uses peripheral vision to see backside routes crossing over. Passes them off well. Communicates with his teammates and match principled concepts. Does well to click and close on routes underneath him in zone coverage. Good spatial awareness when midpointing vertical number one and number two. Leverages athletic gifts to close with well in these scenarios. Good tackler who wraps up and uses his length. Physical, not scared of contact. Those are all the strengths. It's a lot of strengths. I like it. A lot of strengths. Weaknesses. Weaknesses. Let's get into some weaknesses. A shoulder injury in his past must be evaluated. Missed most of 2021 because of that shoulder. Press footwork and punch could be ironed out. Is aggressive, can miss sometimes. Doesn't bring his feet with his punch. Causes him to lunge. Allows wide receivers to stack, although he does have recovery speed to close with and get in the face. Gets very grabby when fooled on double moves. He did have eight penalties in 2022. Although he is great in coverage, does like the grab, especially on the vertical plane. So you got to watch that. Doesn't happen as much on the horizontal plane, which I feel like is when a lot of people grab. Regardless, he only had two career interceptions, somewhat of a red flag there. Allowed a few deep one-on-one -on -one receptions that, with better awareness, he could have located and either knocked down or intercepted. His block deconstruction against stock blocking wide receivers couldn't prove. So those are my weaknesses. Yeah, I think that honestly checks out a lot with what we've seen, what we discussed and what I've seen as well. When I was going into this and I was saying like, I like him so much as a prospect. And I said, for me, again, he's like a borderline blue chip prospect because I only weaknesses I really saw in his game were the ball skills. That was the main thing. I think not only is the, the low interception total a question mark, but also it just felt like, and I know you agreed with me because I brought it up a few times ago and you, and you saw it too. He just like, for some odd reason, I wonder if this is coachable, but he just doesn't get his head around a lot on the vertical plane. It's just like, he's like looking the wrong way. And you know, in the NFL, if you don't get your head around, they're flagging that shit every freaking time. It's like a rule for it. It's like these, these refs are like trained. Like the minute you see that corn, first of all, as you, I know you agree with, because we're both on the team of, for some reason, the refs are like a bias toward receivers in the NFL. It's like it's completely unfair for, oh, for these corners. Which it's, it should really be the opposite way because it's so much harder to play corner than it is to play receiver. But I know the NFL wants points, whatever. So like that could hurt him at the NFL level, that inability or whatever you would call it to not get his head around sometimes. But I wonder if that can be coached. That's like something I don't know. But I did think something you mentioned was interesting. So I was watching a breakdown. Um, and I just remember watching, this was obviously one of the games I wanted to watch because it was against his best competition, but I was watching a breakdown from Baldy who likes Banks a lot of his game against Ohio state, which obviously is a game. Like if you want to watch Banks, 
and you sign up for Caddy's Cut Ups or wherever you're going to get your film. The you're first game talk, you should watch. What you're going to talk about the Marvin Harrison play? No, no, I'm not talking about a specific play, but I'm, I'm just going to say if you want to watch film yourself and you do sign up for Caddy's Cut Ups or wherever you can get the film, uh, any of those services, you should watch the Ohio State game first because it's against the best receivers he's going to face. That's what you want to see. But something Baldy brought up, or he didn't bring it up. I just showed it. I saw it in the film. The grabbiness is something I thought was interesting. And there were plays, it might have been the play you're referring to or, or another one, where he got a little grabby, wasn't actually called for it. And I feel like at the college level, Nick, they let you get away with a little bit more than they do with from a grabbiness standpoint than at the NFL level. We saw this with Darnay Holmes a little bit as well in coverage translating from college to the NFL. So that's probably my other concern with him. It's one, can he get the head around in coverage on the deep, on the vertical plane? Two, is he going to make plays on the ball, not a lot of interceptions? And then three, is that grabbiness that didn't get flagged as often? You said eight, but still a lot of penalties, as yeah. you mentioned. Um, but is that going to turn into a lot of penalties at NFL level? Because they really don't let these corners get away with as much. I'll say this too, like Joey Porter Jr. He had like a lot of penalties in his junior season. I think it was ten. Yeah. Last year he only had three, and I was like, oh, that's a big improvement. But watching some of his tape too, I'm like, bro, he's grabbing and he's just yeah. not getting yellow flagged for it. And I'm just like, that's so subjective, right? Because like, yeah. even if two of those referees decided to throw that flag, now you're like, oh, he had three, now it's five, and it's right. just like, it's it's kind of fluky. Right. But I do agree. Like, like somebody like say Trey Hodges Tomlinson from TCU, he had like 14 cam Smith. He had 10. That's a lot of grabs. I think Deontay banks, he does get somewhat grabby. I think everything you said about um, not turning around, locating the football. I saw, I think I saw it once in the Wisconsin game. I think he might've turned around late, but like he could have been flagged because he was face guarding a little bit. Right. So I think that can be corrected. The grabbiness, you know, Jerome Henderson is probably going to tape tennis balls or boxing gloves to his hands and, and send him out in practice. So he can't grab. So he's enabled to do that, to teach him to just trust his feet and trust his technique. And once he trusts his feet in his technique, which he doesn't always do. And I, I, I think this coaching staff will get him to, there's really not that many weaknesses with him right. as long as he's healthy because he has that type of athletic upside and the length and the size and he's physical. So, and he has the mentality. He's first team all chirp, similar to Devon Witherspoon, right? Mm -hmm. So you have all of those traits in a cornerback. That's what you want in your starting cornerback. And I hear so many of these like really good film guys that we trust. I, I don't need to mention the names. I know you like them too, Nick. Talk about how much, and even former NFL GMs like who are on these podcasts now, talk about how much they believe in what you just said, that chirpiness factor of a cornerback is important to them. They want that chip on your shoulder corner who's going to play physical, who's going to let you know, who's going to get like a Devin Witherspoon. And I think he fits that bill. And like you said, with his athletic profile, with his deep speed on the vertical plane, the recovery ability, with the physicality, with the movement skills all over, with the explosiveness, like if he can correct his technique, like you said, and take well to the coaching, he is going to be a really good player for the Giants at 25. Like he's going to be somebody who you're going to look back. And this is all ifs, right? Like he has to do all the things that we just said. He has to correct those techniques. He has to take well to the coaching and he has to stay confident. And that means he has to win early to, to gain and maintain that confidence. But if all those things happen, I just feel like we're getting a much better prospect than you normally see at corner at 25. Like a lot of these corners, I'm looking back at past drafts and I didn't get a chance to fully do this before the show. So maybe I'll do it for tomorrow or something like that. But I'm looking back at past drafts, Nick, and the corners that go off the board. None of them are anywhere near him from an athletic standpoint. They're just not even anywhere close. Like you're talking about there's always a war. Like DeAndre Baker, for example, had a four, five, whatever, 40-yard dash, right? And you could see it on the tape. And that was the big knock for him. Honestly, I don't even think that was his big knock. I think DeAndre yeah. Baker's big mental. knock was mental. He he yeah. did not get James Betcher's system. He could not run a match system. That, that He mm -hmm. just couldn't. 
you know, and that sucks, but Hey, it's the NFL, bro. You need to be able to know where you're going to be based on the route distribution that the offense throws at you. And he hasn't made it. I don't think with the chiefs yet. I'm not sure. I don't think he's had many snaps there. I know they have a, a crowded cornerback room. They're like crowded at every position. That's a stack that roster is, but, um, but yeah, I mean, look, I feel really confident that when you have that kind of athletic profile, in some ways, like he was very underdrafted to me in this class. I don't feel like 24 players should have been selected before him personally. Because again, like I understand there's warts, I understand there's a one year wonder, and he needs to correct and clean up things. And there's risk involved in all of that, Nick, and the injury, like you talked about. But man, you just don't see corners with his level of athleticism at this pick. And he has some believers, man. I talked about Brian Baldinger, who broke down and loved this tape. I found this out tonight. Greg Cosell, and I know you love Greg Cosell. Greg Cosell, the godfather of game film breakdown, game film analysis. This dude must watch like a million hours of film a year. Like, it's just amazing how he can get to that much. He's just sitting in that Mount Laurel office in New Jersey, which I have applied to so many times, Nick. I've applied to NFL films a disgusting <laughs> number of times. I've never received any inquiry back, but he does interact with me sometimes on Twitter, maybe one day. Because I would just, that to me is like close to the dream job. Like you're just sitting in NFL films, working with Greg Cassell, watching tape all day. Like I know for you, that's even more so the dream job, even than me, but, but, um, I found this out tonight. Greg Cosell has Banks as his corner two in this class. He had Gonzalez one, Banks as his corner two, both over Witherspoon. So I thought that was just super interesting to hear him break down Banks. And you can find that on my Twitter. I, I think I um, retweeted that. But that was just something that I, I, you know, I stored up in here. And I was like, damn, Greg Cosell loves him. That's That's got to be a good sign. Yeah, I didn't know that Greg Cosell had yeah. him that high. I'm wondering why he had him over Devon Witherspoon. Maybe it's Lance. And Gonzalez over Witherspoon. Well, Gonzalez, I can at least justify because of traits that you can project forward because not many people are that size with that type of movement skill. True. But I think this also might work against Gonzalez. At least I, I'm not interviewing these guys. I don't know shit. But just like from what I hear, from he doesn't have that Banks Witherspoon mentality, right? Yeah. I'm not saying that he isn't tough or anything like that, but I always hear people speak on podcasts who are a little bit more in the know than me suggest that maybe he doesn't have that same type of temperament that those two have, and that could really um, not really mesh well with some front offices, but new England, who is like the pinnacle of that temperament selected him. So yeah. maybe that's just bullshit. I'll say this though, man, um, yeah. with, with Deontay banks, he did surrender four touchdowns this year. He did not surrender a catch longer than 30 yards in since his freshman year, which it was only Fire. a 41 yard. Yeah. No, yeah. He's never actually surrendered a catch more than 40 yards. Fires so that. no more than 30 yeah. this year, no more than 30 this year or in 2021 in the, in the few games that he did play his longest catch surrendered in college was a 37 yard catch. The four touchdowns that he did allow in 2022, one of them was against Grant DeBose, who's going to be a probably late day three pick out of Charlotte. Really? It was just an outside release. And it was a perfect throw from the Charlotte quarterback who is more than likely going to be an accountant, as we like to say on this podcast. All the touchdowns, they were kind of short. One was, I think, uh, just like a blown coverage against Indiana, where it was like a horizontal cross and Banks took to eye candy from somebody else. And, and, and the uh, route ended up being a horizontal route. He gave up a 16-yard touchdown to Nebraska as well. And then another touchdown to Indiana. So he did surrender four touchdowns. Maybe people will be like, Oh, he's not great in those situations. Look, I think we have to break down each of those plays individually and see what exactly happened. He only allowed 138 yards after catch this year, probably a testament to that tackling and his reception rate this season 
was 43.3%, and he had a sub-50% reception rate in college throughout his entire career. That's filthy right there. Not yeah. giving up a lot of yards if the catch on a horizontal plane. Not giving up a good uh, a lot of completion percentage against. Also, I think you put this on your Twitter, but and you might have just mentioned it and I missed it, but he didn't give up more than 53 yards in a game this year, which I thought was also super interesting. You, Someone might have put that up. Um, yeah, I put that up. I think a while ago though. Yeah. I, I don't think I put that up. I think I put that up before we, I knew he was the the pick and that 53 yards was Ohio state Purdue. We talk a lot about Charlie Jones. We love Charlie Jones. He only gave up three catches for 15 yards to Charlie Jones. And I know Charlie Jones is not like boy, Charlie Jones, baby. He got shut down at his way a few times with Joey Porter jr. By the way, he did. But Joey Porter jr. Did have like five PBUs in that game. He but did. again, I think they're still throwing the football at him. Yeah. Nobody else wanted to try him after that. Like, yeah, I, after I, that, that was it. Right. Exactly. I like Joey Porter jr. Man, but I, I was lower on him than, than a lot of other people. And I, I think it was mainly just a lot of people like, yeah, he's a perfect fit for wink Martin. I'm like, why? Just cause he can press and he's long. Right. You need to be able to flip your hips. You can't allow wide receivers to eat into your cushion when you are in off coverage and then have problems and issues in transition, flipping your hips to, to get right back in phase and close with on that wide receiver, depending on wherever the hell they are going. It's not something that he can't do, but there's a little hitch in that. Like that's not his game. I feel like his best fit would be in like a cover three type of scheme, press bail type of scheme, like the Seattle schemes from, you know, back in the early two thousands. He could be like a Richard Sherman in that, and he'd thrive, right? Right. But I don't know if just because he's good at press coverage doesn't necessarily mean he would be perfect for this specific system, I think, that's going to force the corners to flip their hips and cover across the field, the entirety of the field. That's more suited to Deontay Banks and sure. DJ Turner and players like that. I completely agree with that. And I think there's the, you know, if you were going to take a player like Porter, there's the hope that he can just be so good with his hands and his length and his, and his jam that nobody gets off. And by the time yeah. his receivers break free, the pressure is there because you're playing in a high pressure system that's sending a lot of blitzers. But like, yeah, he did that against the Indianas and the Northwesterns and the Illinois and all these loser receivers of the world. But none of those guys are playing in the NFL, right? Like the only ones are the Ohio State bunch. And that's and Charlie Jones is going to be a fourth round pick. Like who else is even coming into the draft from the Big Ten this year? It's not that many. I don't know anyone from Indiana, Illinois, Wisconsin, Penn State has Parker Washington. Like so, the point is, like Joey Porter might be able to press jam these dudes at college, but can he get away with that in the NFL? And if not, like you said, can he flip his hips and recover? Because to me, recoverability is like the most important trait for a corner, basically. Um, and so, you know, depending on the system you're playing in, but you're playing in the Giants system, it is probably the most important trait um so we'll see so yeah so i i'm definitely excited i i had banks over porter as well banks is my corner three um made my my guy list porter did not so i'm super pumped about that i'm also really excited nick just kind of taking a step back and looking at this thing more like thirty thousand view i was really in the camp of getting a defensive player in round one me my brother and my dad watched the draft tonight we talked about that extensively like we were not in the camp of wide receiver for one i didn't want a receiver because i didn't really want to gamble on any of these small dudes two if jsn fell okay i would have taken jsn i would have been happy nick but these little dudes i'd rather wait for next draft to get a bigger dude and for second and more importantly man i feel like the talent infusion is so much more necessary on defense right now than it is on offense. And I said this on Twitter and I stand by it. Like the giants defense was already the source last season, a lot of W's and thanks to, in my mind to coaching, the combination of three things, coaching third down defense, and then mostly red zone success. 
that was why they were the success. Like a lot of our W's last year were defense based. They were not offense based. We did not have a good offense last year. The contrary to belief, like some popular belief, like if you look at some of the numbers, we're dead last in explosive pass rate, dead last in overall explosive play rate. Didn't really score that many points. What did we have? One game over 30 at the end of the year. Was that only the Vikings? I don't know if we did. We have a game over 30 besides the Vikings playoff. The Colts. The Colts, right? They get who were giving yeah. up on their on their coach who got fired and was obviously should have never been a coach. But like that, you know, counted if you want. But you know, that was a we had all those wins on defense, and now we have an absolutely an absolute legitimate infusion of talent. Bobby O'Karake to play inside linebacker instead of Jalen Smith, Ashawn Robinson and Nacho to give you defensive line depth instead of like whatever the hell we were putting out there on the defensive line last year at the end of the season, Deontay banks to play instead of Nick McLeod and Fabian Moreau types, a potentially healthy all year, Xavier McKinney, a potentially healthy all year, Dory Jackson. I know that one's a little bit harder to believe. And honestly, at this point with McKinney, it's like he has actually been injured for two, for two, most of two seasons though. I feel like both were freak accidents, the broken foot and the hand thing off the ATV. But like, there's a legit infusion of talent right now in this defense. And we could start to get even more W's from we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I think so, too. And I'll say this, man, and I'm not trying to pour cold water on the Giants at all. I think the Giants could make the playoffs. The NFC is weak, and I'm not saying that to disparage the Giants either. You know, I love this team. But the schedule last year worked in the Giants' favor. And if the Giants are going to make the playoffs, they need to win divisional games. They need to win divisional games. It's that simple. You're not playing the AFC South. You swept the AFC South last year. You're probably not sweeping the AFC division that you're playing next year. And the Giants won one game in their division and then tied another. Of course, Washington swept three games to the Eagles and swept by Dallas. And if you look... Right now, and this is a good segue into day two, Dan. Yes. If you look right now at what the Eagles, the Cowboys, and Washington are doing, the Eagles got Jalen Carter and Nolan Smith. Just call them the Bulldogs at this point, man. It's freaking crazy to pair up with Jordan freaking Davis and Fletcher Cox, who was a Bulldog at Mississippi State back in college, mind you. And then you have Mozzie Smith be the selection for Dallas with Micah Parsons and Demarcus Lawrence. And you know Deron Payne was retained. Jonathan Allen. Those are some dominant defensive fronts. The Giants have no long-term solution right now at an interior offensive line. And I really am interested in Marvin Mims. I am the Oklahoma wide receiver. I think he would be a great fit on this offense. I think he is an underrated wide receiver. And I know the Giants love him too. But I think the Giants need to make investments into their interior offensive line. I do not want to play those three teams twice a year with 
those defensive lines with this interior offensive line. It, it does not set up well for the Giants. That's a good segue to talk about. You know, we're going to do a segment now just discussing the first round of the draft or other teams. We can start with the big teams that matter, the NFC East teams. I mean, my brother was so freaking pissed when he just saw it. The, he saw it unfolding like around pick like four. He started to get angry. He knew that the Eagles were going to get Jalen Carter. It was really, it's really just absurd how these things just seem to fall into their place. Like 10 minutes before the draft, we find out some weird tampering thing has gone on. And now the Eagles own the 60th pick from the Cardinals. She's like, what the f- what's going on here? Like what, Jonathan, they, now they Gannon. just get a second round pick out of this, this, this stupid situation to lose Jonathan Gannon. Who's they like, were tampering for the pew pew guy. Yeah, Come on. No, what the hell? It's not going to work there though. I, I am, was impressed by Arizona who, you know, and it's not their fault of position they're in. Steve Kime was just a horrific GM. Do you know what Steve Kime said, by the way, yesterday or the day before on a podcast, Nick side side. I think I saw floating around something. uh, I don't exactly remember. Draft day movie is actually extremely accurate as to what happens. Like the fuck are you talking about, dude? Have you seen draft day, Nick? I have, but I'm, I'm, I'm imagining, or at least I'm hoping that he's saying like the owner breathing down the neck. Maybe that he's talking about okay. Michael Bidwell. Maybe that's what he was talking about. Not the fact that like, it's like Vontae Mack, no matter what. And he's like, Oh, I wrote that on a post-it, you know, three months ago. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, he's that, more but... of a job managing that Cardinals roster as you possibly can. So I almost feel like it's the former and this dude is just bonkers in space, not knowing what the hell he's doing, but I commend you them for making that radio trade, out yeah. here, by the way, buddy, you would love sports radio out oh, here. Yeah, I would. Oh, dude, now they, I do think they, moved on to the right track with what they did here that was an amazing trade down with the lions but i want to talk more about our teams anyway we're so we're talking about jalen carter like so jalen carter falls to the eagles at nine like dude if he's just like fine fit for their culture and probably this is like the best spot he could go to from that standpoint nick he's arguably the best player in this class non-quarterback like you could say will anderson and some people will make that case but i think the real answer is jalen carter um, and I think you might probably agree with that as well. Like he was literally the best player in college football. And then to freaking sit on your clock, not trade up and get Nolan Smith at 31 overall. It was dis- it was disgusting. And we knew it was going to happen. Daniel Jeremiah was laughing about <laughs> it's going to be Nolan Smith. Isn't it? They're all laughing on set NFL network. And it just happens to fall that way. And it's like no one's stopping them. So that was super disappointing night for me with the Eagles getting Nolan Smith and getting uh, Jalen Carter. Like you said, it's going to be really difficult right now. It puts a lot of pressure on the Giants to improve their interior offensive line. And I hope that doesn't. So my whole thing, Nick, is I'm down to do it if the board falls the right way or if they make a trade up for an interior offensive line. But I don't want to jam the position just to jam the position because then we're getting into Dave Gettleman-esque type, type behavior yeah, where we're just yeah. taking positions because we need positions. So it's going to be interesting to see. The good news from that front, Nick, is – Neither uh, Osiris Torrance or uh, Steve Avila went in this first round. No John Michael Schmitz, no Joe Titman. So as of right now, and that doesn't even, you know, they might like other guys. They might like Cody Mock. Cody Mock. Yeah. Right. They might, they might like Chandler Zavala, who I mentioned, they might like Bergeron to move inside the guard. Like, so there's a lot of interior offensive line. The board has actually fallen in a really nice way. If the giants do want to make that interior move. But like you said, the Cowboys on top of that, getting Mozzie Smith, a player who we discussed at the end of our process that we both like, like we just both understand what you get. You get a 330 pounder who can play two gaps and give you some movement potentially in the pass game. Like, and eventually Mozzie Smith could be like a late developing pass rusher like Dexter Lawrence was. So it's not great. Um, what did you think of the last team we didn't talk about with Washington going with Forbes over um, 
over Christian Gonzalez, over Deontay Banks, over Joey Porter Jr. I think they're looking for turnovers, man. And I'm okay. imagining Emmanuel Forbes probably did well in all of his interviews with them. I, I think he does fit what Jack Del Rio wants to do, but I also think Christian Gonzalez fits what Jack Del Rio wants to do. So from that standpoint, I was like, it's a little peculiar, right? But you're not going to find many bigger fans to Emmanuel Forbes than me. Like I've right. been kind of singing his praises for quite a while. I think it could be rough though, early on for him at his size and everything. But I think he's a really good cornerback who's going to start there for quite a while. I'm not surprised. I thought he was going to be a first round pick. I didn't know it was going to be before pick 20 though. Yeah, it was interesting. And I feel like what you said first is really what stands out here. They want to find it. They, they probably prioritize this pick because of the, ball skills and the turnover upside that he brings to the mix because a player like Christian Gonzalez, I actually, that was my, I, the thing with me with Gonzalez, and I know I discussed this on our corner pod. I felt like, so before I watched any of these guys, I looked at their combine testing, their athletic profile, and he looked like a cookie cutter lab built corner that I was going to be like, this dude is a top five blue chip. I love this guy. And then I watched Gonzalez and I was definitely unimpressed to be honest, based on my expectation. I set such a high expectation. Gotcha. He was good on film, but he wasn't what I was expecting. He was smooth. He just, and mostly for me, it was, he allowed a lot of completions. I didn't expect him to, and the ball skills weren't what I expected them to be. So maybe with a player like Forbes over Gonzalez for Washington, they're trying to locate somebody who has ball skills, who has turnover upside. And what did we see last year when Washington played the giants? Some insanely aggressive coverages, right? Project Del Rio is like, like taking corners away from the, uh, you know, the field side, just like, eh, you're not going to throw it over there. Daniel Jones, enjoy, just have your wide receiver running wide open to the, to the field side, by the sideline, 10 yards of space, no corner in sight. We don't give a shit. There you go. And, you know, you start to build in some of those aggressive coverages that he's going to build in. I can see some bad moments in our future where the manual Forbes is jumping a ball and picking it and maybe taking it to the house against the Giants. So I don't love it, to be honest. Like at first it's like, oh, nice. They took him over Gonzalez and Banks or better prospects probably overall. And it's like on the flip side, it's like, eh, I don't know. I don't know if I want a manual Forbes in our division, honestly. Now I got to freaking see him twice a year after I had this like draft crush on the guy. I'm, I'm guessing Forbes is going to slide in and he's going to start cornerback at what opposite Kendall Fuller. But I know they also had Benjamin St. Juiced, who I feel like is a pretty solid cornerback. Good, right? healthy, he, just injury issues for him. Yeah. The long kid from Minnesota. I think he was like a third round pick, maybe. Yeah. I, I want to pop our lads. Yeah. He was a third round pick in 2021. So. Hey, man, they love the run match principled quarters type defenses right. where you got to be smart, where you got to be reactive. Uh, Manuel Forbes can execute that very freaking well. Yep. All right. Let's talk about some of the other teams, that, uh, some of what the other teams did in this draft. So I think let's start near the top. So the first thing is in both of our mocks of what we would do, Nick, the, or the mock we, we did of what we would do, neither of us, we, we did not take Will Levis in round one. So it's obviously no surprise to either of us. He didn't go in round one, Nick. And I saw someone tweet tonight, like, uh, oh, here's some teams that are going to take, I expect to take Will Levis. It's like picks 36, 37, 38. I don't see it, man. I think this slide is going to continue. For me, I wouldn't take Will Levis until day three. That's the grade I have in him. I see almost no route for him to be good in the NFL. And I heard someone talking about it on a podcast. I think it was Chris Collins. He's like, yeah, I totally didn't get it with Levis. And then I watched a little bit more tape and I, and I finally started to see what some people like. And to him, like what he likes about Levis is like, he did better with the layup throws. I'm like, well, that's all you're finding. Like this, cause like, it's like, is that the good thing about Will Levis? The layup throws. I feel like almost when I look at Will Levis, Nick, I feel like he's just a shittier version of Carson Wentz. 
which is just not a prospect that I have any interest in investing anything more than a fourth-round pick, and I don't care how big he is. I don't care if he can throw 50 yards from his knees. If you're not good, I'm not. If you have the profile he has, and a lot of this, again, I'm basing off of that 2021 tape with Wondell Robinson, just watching those six games. But, like, dude, that was supposed to be his good tape. Like, the 2021 tape, I didn't watch him in 2022. And if you look at the numbers, dude, just the raw numbers, this dude, like, barely eclipsed 150 yards a game. Yeah, I know. It's like insane how unproductive he was for some like supposed first round pick. So, yeah, so he fell out of round one. I don't think that was more of a surprise. Um, I think the first surprise of this draft was probably the trade up for Will Anderson, which was just weird to me. I just feel mm-hmm. like if I'm going to trade up and give up all that capital, they gave up a next year one. They gave up the 34th pick, I think it was, uh, which is insanely valuable in this class. Maybe it was 36, 36 or 34. I think it was 34. 34, next year one, and next year three and 12, I need to be getting a Miles Garrett or I need to be getting a Von Miller. That's how I viewed it, Nick. So you got you want to show me a prospect who's the size of Will Anderson, then give me Von Miller bend around the edge. Or you don't want to show me Von Miller bend around the edge, then fine. Give me Miles Garrett or give me Mario Williams. Give me someone who has crazy length and who can dominate like that. But like I like Will Anderson a lot. I think he was the best of like the best bet in this class, not not named Jalen Carter. But that's not a player I trade all that capital up for. I need one of those two things. So that surprised me. Surprising? Yes. I respect it to some degree. Okay. I respect it because you are trying to cultivate a culture there because the culture there has been ass for years. has been weird. They just yeah. get crapped on all the time because no one knows what's going on there. And then the Deshaun Watson situation was a freaking terrible fiasco. People are talking about Nick Casario leaving after the draft. You bring in D'Amico Ryans and you're like, look, we are trying to build a respectable franchise. We get CJ Stroud. We have our quarterback now that we can build around. That buys us a lot of time here. Not that these guys are even under pressure, but they have a ton of draft capital. Right. So why not go D'Amico Ryans is a defensive head coach and you get that defensive cornerstone and he's not Nick Bosa, but you get that defensive cornerstone that is reportedly. And it just seems like one of the best football characters and people that you can have in your building. You bring him into that locker room to help kind of cultivate what you want in place as D'Amico Ryans. And now you have that bedrock quarterback and that bedrock defensive player, along with Derek Stingley Jr. and Jalen Petrie and all those young guys. Because remember, man, this was a team that was made up of like a bunch of just like older free agents who were just looking to put good tape out there so they can go and get another contract for a competing team. That's what that team was last year with Lovey Smith. And now you have a whole new era here. And I don't know if it's going to work, but you looked at what the New York Jets did last year. And the New York Jets got Garrett Wilson and they got freaking Sauce Gardner in the top 10. And they're like, we love this guy. We are very convinced that this guy is going to be a difference maker and he's going to mean so much to our team and this city. Let's go up and grab him. And since they had all that draft capital from the trade, they were like, we have the draft capital to do it. We feel strongly about this. We feel passionately about this. Let's go and do it. I respect that to a degree. I don't think you're wrong, Dan. I I do look at it and I'm like, that's a lot. That is. But when you are very convicted about a certain individual and you think that they can change the entire franchise around from a locker room standpoint, while also being a very damn good football player on the field, I can understand it, especially with the past like half decade the Texans have gone through. That's fair. It is. And he, remember that first year he broke out with Bama. What do you have? 40 plus pressures, like an insane number. Okay. So there is still the production, like the past amazing production in his profile. 
Um, so I'm, I'm with that. Let's get to the next surprise in this draft. Um, <laughs> and that was for surprise for some. It was not a surprise for me because I had him mocked to this team in the draft. And that was B. John Robinson in the top 10 at eight oh, overall. Oh. To the Falcons. I, I didn't. I thought you were going with the other running back. Oh, no, we're going to get to now, that. B. John wasn't even a surprise. I had him. It wasn't. Some people right felt now. like because I, I remember before the draft, some people were like, if the Giant, if he falls to 25, the Giants got to take it. And I'm like, nah, I don't blame you. I, I'm kind of OK with that versus the other back. Who I was like totally out on at 25. And Did we can get to that. And that's the Lions at 12 overall after trading back, right? They traded back. Yeah. Yeah. They take Jameer Gibbs despite having the 18th pick. And after the draft, their GM said not only was he their highest rated player on the board, which like one is one thing. If you're just like totally throwing out positional value, you can maybe make the case that Jameer Gibbs is like the 12th best player in this draft. I wouldn't make that case. I would never find an 198 pound back to be the best player in the, the, and that's combine weight. Like I know he's not playing at that weight. He's playing at 190 to one, 185 to 190 at the NFL level. And like, good luck holding up. Or if not, like, what are you like a scat back? Which I think someone even mentioned in one of the pros draft, they said the word scat back, but like, okay, maybe you can make the case he's your 12th player on the board if you're not talking positional value. But if you're factoring in positional value and premium positions and the importance of actually using your premium assets on premium positions, you don't have to pay them in free agency. This is a horrific pick, in my opinion, Jameer Gibbs. And I'll stand by that. I don't care. And this is just a shocking pick to me. And like he said also after the draft, Nick, that he had teams texting him today and saying, oh, we were, oh, we were going to take Jameer Gibbs. So we had to take him in twelve. Guess who's not taking Jameer Gibbs? The Packers at 13 were never taking Jameer Gibbs. The Steelers at 14 were never taking Jameer Gibbs. The Jets at 15 were never taking Jameer Gibbs after B. Saul. So those are three of the teams that he claimed would take him. The football team with B. Um, not B. John Robinson, with Brian Robinson and 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 Antonio Gibson, and just the fact that they needed a corner, that was never happening. The Patriots, maybe. I guess, but I highly doubt it. They took a running back in the first round once and it backfired so bad on them that I don't think they'll ever do. They took it twice. They took Lawrence Maroney as well, but neither of those worked out. So now everyone's been knocked off and now you're back on the clock at 18 and you could have just got Jim, Jim, Jameer Gibbs there. So just like a stunning thing to me that Jameer Gibbs went there. Curtis Martin, a first round pick. Now I'm curious by that. We're going to, if we're going to go way back in the day, I don't know if they were, if he was a first round you mean pick. Belichick, was that the year Belichick? Uh, well, that was Jets. Oh, you're just, you're just going pre prior to Belichick. Okay. Prior to Belichick. Yeah. 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 I just wanted yeah. to bring up Curtis Martin because yeah, I man. hated the Jets. I hated the Jets growing up. I hate to admit this, but like, I kind of liked Curtis Martin. Yeah. He There's just something player. about a, yeah, just something about a running back who like is going to get four yards for you. Every carry, it yeah. didn't matter. <laughs> he was gonna get four yards for no you. flash yeah. to his game, no need. Nah, no need for it. No need for it. Yeah, he was that great, great mental processing. And then like we get to the next old... surprise. Yeah, go ahead. I was just gonna say it was like six year old me who was like, "Oh, that guy's good. He wears the green jersey." <laughs> but I, I hated that team. You know, there's oh, a dude, really yeah, funny no. story in the past where my dad uh, went to pick up my brother from from Will Lake Day Camp. He was so young, and and it was a hot day out, like ninety eight degrees. And we we haven't let him. We, there was like a ten year span where we just didn't let him live this down. We just brought it up and and shat on him for it over and over again. We we finally retired the joke, but like, and it was a hot day outside. And my dad, when he picked him up. He was wearing a Jets hat, my brother, because like one Ooh. of his friends gave it to him or a counselor gave it to him. And my dad was just disgusted to walk in there that day and see his son in a Jets hat. So we haven't let him live that down. Uh, shout Daddy. out, Danny. Shout out, Ronnie, if you're listening today. Um, shout out, Pops. But it, just a funny random story. But the next surprise here was we saw the tackle run we expected. And I feel like, dude, the Jets kind of got screwed here because the did. Steelers traded up 
to 14, one pick ahead of the Jets, to get Broderick Jones, who was basically, in a lot of people's minds, the last of the great tackles left on the board. Anton Harrison went later in the round. I like DeWan Jones, but a lot of people didn't like DeWan Jones. I get it. He'll probably go sometime on day. He'll definitely go sometime on day two. There's no way someone with his wingspan is not going to go on day two. But they traded ahead of the Jets. And in some ways, dude, as you mentioned this earlier, Nick, in some ways, the Jets kind of pulled a Jerry Reese 2014 with Eli Apple and taking Will McDonald. Like, not really, because like, Dude, I get the McDonald pick because, like, if you're going to talk to me about Lucas Van Ness, who goes at 13 and McDonald at 15, consensus mock, everyone's like, this is the worst pick ever. Lucas Van Ness is so much higher rated. But, like, I look at the two players, I'm like, well, McDonald actually has burst an edge bend. And McDonald, to me, has a much better chance of actually being a pass rusher who wins against NFL tackles than Lucas Van Ness, who's just all projection. And I think Van Ness is still the player like I would prefer because I like edge setting. And I think there's some value to having these defensive ends who are long and physical and powerful who can like, because I just only because of last year, really, dude, only because of watching the Giants last year. I never thought this until I watched all those games on tape and I saw how bad we were setting the edge and how much it impacted us in the run game. So I do see value in the Van Nesses, but like, I don't hate McDonald because he actually has some pass rush upside. But either way, dude, at 15 overall, this feels like it was a bit of a reach and the funniest thing was because my brother was in such a bad mood after the Jalen Carter to the Eagles thing. Like he's just like hates the Eagles with a passion, but he was smiling eye to eye, ear to ear after the Jets went with McDonald. Cause immediately his best friend who was one of his best friends, the Jets fan was like, what the fuck? What the heck? Like cursing off. He's like, this ruined my night. This is ridiculous. I got a text from Gary Levine, Jets fan. He's like, what, who is this? Cause like he's a casual fan. So he doesn't, fo- you know, he follows the players who were mocked to his team. In all, and he's reading all the mock, but in no mocks was Will McDonald going to the Jets. And basically in no mocks was Will McDonald really a first-round pick. So it's like, who is this guy? And then he said, like, if we're going to take this guy, we should have just traded down. And I kind of agree with him. Like, I don't really think Will McDonald was going off the board anytime soon, to be honest. And, like, even if he is, it's like you can't just bank your whole draft on, like, we know more than you guys know. We got to get this guy. So I just felt like that was a big surprise to me. Man, Will McDonald probably has the best bend in this draft class. Yeah. And he's long, dude. He's a long player with great bend. He's a little undersized. You don't need him to start in base because you have Carl Lawson. You drafted Jermaine Johnson last year. This could be a situational pass rusher for you. You could use him in certain packages. You have Robert Salah as your head coach. They do a good job with defense. You want to get after those quarterbacks, Josh Allen to uh, Mac Jones, if you're still the quarterback, whatever. But I don't know. I don't hate it. I think he's a really good football player. I don't either. Yeah. I shouldn't say it's just like, funny. This is, it's so he was he was productive too. And I get it. It's it's the Big 12. It's Iowa State. It's, you know, as as our friend Don would say, our mutual friend Don would say, ew, gross. And he was very happy that two Hawkeyes were selected in the first round and only one cyclone was. He texted me about it. <laughs> but Will, but Will McDonald had 34 sacks in college and 42 tackles for a loss. And he was, you could argue, not being used to his full potential. So I kind of like, I understand where you're coming from. It sucks. They definitely got screwed. They wanted a tackle, no doubt. But like, I still think you got a pretty good football player. I'm fine with it too. Cause again, like I said, he actually has edge bend, which is like impossible to find in this class. It, feel, it felt like at least and, and he has more edge bend than BJ Ojalari, than Nolan's, and then all those and Nolan players. Smith too. Yeah. Who we love. Yeah. We would both take Nolan Smith over him because he's a more complete player, but he did have more edge bend than him. And, yeah. and some people would even say he had more edge bend than Will Anderson. I don't know if that totally, oh, yeah. Is, but yeah. probably I, just I pure edge bend. Yeah. Like yes. that's not the only thing to a pass rusher, but it's yeah. worth, it's worth a lot. These days. By edge bend, I just mean you can flatten to the yeah. quarterback, right? Like we talk about, we've talked about that a lot over the last couple of weeks. Like maybe Will Anderson is a better overall player, right. but 
Will McDonald's ability to bend through contact because of his lower body flexion and just the way he is built and his athletic ability is superior than a Will Anderson who is a little bit tighter than that, a little bit stiffer than right. that. And with all that said, while I can accept that it's an okay pick in a vacuum like that, Nick, it's still not an okay pick for me for a team that, in my opinion, needed to get offensive talent here. Like I said with the Giants, I felt like we really needed defense. I felt like it was even more pronounced with the Jets. They really need, they just brought Rodgers in. They have a horrific tackle situation. And I get it. I don't want them to reach for a tackle. Maybe they should have traded up, though, right? Or maybe they should have just taken JSN there. That's who I said they should have taken at that pick. Look, oh, they, they let go of Eli Moore. They have Alan Lazard, who, in my opinion, sucks. And I just think he's terrible. I guess he'll be, like, somewhat productive as a Rodgers, and there's a rapport. But, like, you got you got Garrett Wilson. You don't really have much talent at tight end from a receiving standpoint. You have Alan Lazard. You bring in JSN instead of Will McDonald. To me, it's a better pick. So I didn't love it by the Jets. Let's move on to another surprise pick. 18 overall, the Lions are at it again, <laughs> just throwing away the idea of premium positions, throwing away the idea of, you know, don't invest your premium capital in positions that are not replaceable, but in some ways replaceable and also not highly paid at the NFL level. Some of these are positions you can find later in the draft for a lot of teams, but they don't care about any of that. They take Jack Campbell, our boy from Iowa. At 18 overall, man, I was loving the direction the Lions were going until this draft. And now, wow, we just got zoomed in on. Maybe that's what we've, that's that. The other Maybe that. Yeah, I was thinking that. Uh, this I is way it. No. Like yeah. You know what? If you're watching this right now on YouTube, I like it. comment and let me know what you like better. Okay. I kind of like we'll this do that. a lot, actually. We'll stick uh, it out for the rest of this podcast. Yeah, we'll stick it out for the rest. I kind of like this. Bit. I think it just looks better. Um, But Jack Campbell at 18 overall, Nick, what are your thoughts? I love Jack Campbell, but yes, it's a little bit rich for me, given everybody else that was on the board. But I'll say this, not just because they share the same last name, it just screams Dan Campbell to me to get a six foot five linebacker who can move that well, who probably reminds Dan Campbell of Brian Urlacher, a player that he used to block and play against when he was a tight end True. in the league for the Giants and the Cowboys. So I um I don't want to say I understand it. But I do like Jack Campbell. I think he's a good football player. I think he'll help that defense. But positional value, it's not the best. But maybe he did not feel like he'd be there in the second round. So I am kind of team get your guy in a lot of situations. Right. Did seem rich, though. I mean, look, you come into this drafted alliance. You've been doing a good thing. You've been building out your trenches. Why not continue to do that? Is how I saw it, especially in a class where there were opportunities to do it at 12 and at 18. Less so for offensive line at 18, but definitely offensive line at 12. Like they have a good offensive line. They could have made an even better offensive line, I feel like. Like, I don't think, yeah. like, who's their left tackle, Taylor Decker, still, right? Like, that's not a future. That's not your future left tackle. That's your current left tackle. And I think he's more just like helped, aided by the scheme. Honestly, their offensive line to me is, is immaculate. But Jonah Jackson is going right. to be a free agent, and Holly Puli Vitae Vitae will also be a free agent. So that's your depth piece right there. So you more than likely could have invested in guard. Osiris Torrance to me fits everything yeah. that they're trying to do. That's what I was thinking. If they throw Torrance in there and they're really cooking with gas, and it's like, or like, is their defensive line besides Aiden Hutchinson that great? Doesn't look that great. But more than anything else. Ali yeah. McNeil against the McNeil Giants is underrated as hell. Yeah, dude, he murdered the Giants, bro. That he, guy played he, out of he'd have a great game against us. He had like nine pressures or something. But fine, let's take all that out and say, okay, you can stop building trenches. 
it was so obvious they needed a corner in this draft, right? Like, I think they would have been better off taking a corner at 12 and a quarter and 18 than Gibbs and Campbell. And then they get their running back on day two, and there's still a million great ones left. And then they get, like, maybe Campbell on day two, because who knows who's going to take him if the Lions don't take him this early. Like, maybe he comes off the board. Whatever. There's other linebackers you can get there. So, like, I just think the replacement value is crazy what they lost out on. And I don't know what their plan is at corner, but it's a bad one. That's all I know. Um, right. All right. I let's get to- the, I can't believe the Bills got Dalton Kincaid. I didn't want to jump ahead like that, but like I was just doing the live stream with Chris for Big Blue right. View when that happened, and now like I just processed it for whatever reason because you said Jack Campbell, and I was like maybe the Bills would have been interested in Jack Campbell, you know, right. like replace Jermaine Edmonds, and then I was like wait they got Dalton Kincaid, and I was like oh shit. Dalton Kincaid with Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs and Gay. I was like oh I was like dude that's that's pretty sick for them, dude. It is sick for them, and I think it's exactly what they needed to be honest. I feel like. I was talking a lot about maybe they find a replacement or gave Davis some kind of replacement long-term for Diggs, but like just that intermediate winner, I feel like they don't, they didn't have it with it. They tried to get it with Isaiah McKenzie. They didn't have it. He's not like your traditional slot, but he's an intermediate winner for sure. So that's like a really fun fit Dalton Kincaid. I want to talk about a couple other picks before that, and then we'll just try to wrap this up so we can get to a few targets for the giants on day two. Um, We've gone a little long already. A couple of interesting picks. Kalijah can see the bucks. I feel like it's such a bucks pick. Yeah, um, it's just such a Todd Bowles Bucks pick. Now, I guess we don't have to say too much more on that. Then the fall, the players who fell, Jackson Smith and Jigba goes to the Seahawks. That's super interesting. It Jackson is. Smith and Jigba, Tyler Lockett, and DK Metcalf. That's intense. I, I feel like I was pretty exciting for Will Seattle. Disley. What'd you say? Will Disley at tight end. Will Disley at tight end. I think they have no offense too. Still, they do. Um, One more year. What a disaster he's he's been for a first round pick. Um. And by the way, I mean, besides Dalton Gabe, we didn't see Michael Mayer go. The NFL really doesn't want to make – there's been so many misses at tight end. They're scared off in tight ends. I think the NFL – I'm going to stand by that. I think the NFL will be wrong on Mayer, or the draft will be wrong on Mayer. We'll find out if I'm right that the fit is important. But um, Quinton Johnson's the Chargers. Tom Telesco just only takes these guys, these basketball players like wide receivers. I thought Zay Flowers was the perfect pick for them there. I was wrong. They love – they want Quinton Johnson instead. Okay. Zay Flowers to the Ravens. That's interesting. Jordan Addison to the Vikings is interesting. So I think you were, yeah, go ahead. I think Addison is set up for success, man. Like Addison is going to, he's more than likely, he's the guy you want in dynasty right now because and he's redraft, honestly. Yes. Yes. Because just targets vacated by Adam Thielen. I was okay with the giants getting Jordan Addison and I was with you. I didn't really want the giants to go receiver in round one, but Jordan Addison is the best route runner in this draft class. And I love tank Dell's ability to run routes, but Jordan Addison, the way he tempos off the line of scrimmage, the way he can set defensive backs up, it's really freaking smooth. I really like what Jordan Addison can do and picturing that in one-on-one situations in whether if they do run play action as much as they have in the past, it doesn't really matter. You have Justin Jefferson on the other side. You have TJ Hawkinson in that offense. That's a really good situation. Whereas Zay Flowers, and I know Greg Roman is not with Baltimore anymore. Lamar Jackson hasn't really proven to sustain targets and passing success with wide receivers through his career. He had the year with Hollywood Brown, but that's really kind of it. And maybe that was Greg Roman, and I'm sure more than likely was, because I do believe Lamar Jackson is a very good quarterback, independent of the fact that he is excellent with a football in his hands. But you have Odell Beckham there too. You have Mark Andrews there. So how many targets are you going to get, Zay Flowers? Right. But I still like the fit because I think Zay Flowers, as everyone who listens to this podcast knows, is a damn good football player. And he can uncover and he can take advantage of the fact that Odell and Mark Andrews will more than likely command a lot of coverage as well. But Lamar needs to just get him the football when that happens. 
Yeah, and that's that's the second part of that 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 discussion that needs to happen. I had a few more picks, not as much surprises, some interesting ones. I kind of like what Jacksonville did, trading back multiple times, still getting a tackle, and Anton Harrison. They really needed a tackle, so I was cool with that. Um, obviously, Nolan Smith. That's annoying. Miles Murphy to to the Bengals. I love that pick by Cincinnati. I thought that was good value. I was very high on Miles Murphy. Um, I feel like Lou Anarumo. I could play for him, and I'd be a good football player. Yeah. Like, I just feel like, like he's turning Eli Apple True. into like a, a competent, adequate starter in the league. Right. Like, I just feel like that that's Not the type of, do. yeah, that's the type, exactly. That's the type of defensive coordinator, dude, that can take a player who, who might have some question marks, right? Might have some up and down tape and then just make him a very solid football player. And he has giant yeah. roots, baby. So, you know, he does. Represent. All right. Let's get into some players we're targeting for day two. Um, so this is tougher to do than than previous years because we're picking deep into each round. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of like so. For example, let's I'll just go over some of the best players that are still on the board. Brian Branch is still on the board out of Alabama. We thought he might go in round one. Michael Mayer is still on the board out of Notre Dame. None of these guys are going to be in the range of fifty-seven because look, we still have another what twenty-five picks to go until fifty-seven. But some of these guys could be trade-up range if they start to fall into the forties, right? Joey Porter Jr., Osiris Torrance. Dewan Jones, Giants probably aren't going to be interested there. John Michael Schmitz, Joe Tittman, Darnell Washington didn't go. Josh Downs, Cam Smith, who I know you like, Steve Avila, but I know probably not going to take a corner, probably not. DJ Turner, Tyreek Stevenson, Sam Laporta, tight end of Iowa, Tank Dell, they both like a lot. Obviously, the quarterbacks, Hooker and Levis, whatever. I pray they go before 57, just praying at this point. Just want to just go before 57. So good players fall to the Giants. Luke Musgrave, Drew Sanders. Remember, we talked about Sanders a sleeper for round one. Uh, Tuli Tui Pelotu, who I thought was nice. better than people. What'd you say? Good job. Yeah, I got the name right finally. But I like I kind of liked him more than, than other people. And I like the fact that he was younger. He's on the younger side. Cody Mock, Zach Charbonnet, if we want to go the running back route. There's a lot of good talent left on the board. Jalen Hyatt at wide receiver, who I don't like as much, but 57, I'm willing to take the gamble. Adabare, who we talked about a lot at the at the end. Double-A battery, as you call him. I kind of like that. Ojalari, I don't think we'll go that direction, but you never know. Keanu Benton, Dayon Henley, who I love. Keon White, who the Giants had a 30 visit with. Cedric Tillman. So we're now talking, I'm already 30 prospects deep. So we're in the range. So let's take a look probably more back end of what I've said there. But who are some of the guys that you have your eye on if we stay at 57? And who are some of the guys you'd be willing to trade up for maybe? So trade up for Osiris Torrance sure. is on that list. Okay. Uh, if the centers start coming up the board, I think you entertain a conversation. As much as you know, we discuss. I don't necessarily want to trade up for center. I I think this interior offensive line situation, Dan, is is a big problem for the it Giants. Is. I think Joe Shane is very aware of it, and I am willing to spend the fifty seventh pick or even trade up to get a John Michael Schmitz or even a Joe Tipman if they believe in him. Osiris Torrance, yes. Steve Avila. Yes, if you think he can fit what you want to do. I know he's much more – the Giants run duo too, so I don't want to make it like they don't, but I know the Giants really like to get their guards out towards the sideline. Do you think he's athletic enough? I think he is, but that's not necessarily their strengths, whereas Joe Tipman, like that's that dude's strength. That's why he fits yeah. what the New York Giants really want to do. You know I like John Michael Schmitz. I'm into Cody Mock. I, I think it might be a little yeah. bit of a developmental um, year for him coming from the FCS level at tackle to playing right. inside in the NFL. But I, I love his feet and I love his mentality. I love how aggressive he is. I like this tape, right? Even though he's playing against a smaller level of competition and I don't want to neglect wide receiver. 
I like Marvin Mims, man. I would be okay with Marvin Mims. I'm hoping that he could fall to <laughs> to the third round. I, I think that's really pie in the sky, but you know, I didn't think Deontay Banks was going to fall to 25. Sure. But I think that if you want somebody to create explosive plays, Jalen Hyatt can be grouped in here too. But if you want someone to create explosive plays that's not named Jalen Hyatt, I think Marvin Mims fits that, dude. That's what Marvin Mims did. He averaged like 19 and a half yards per catch at Oklahoma with crappy offenses around him for a lot of the time. He was a freshman All-American. This guy, to me, is a better receiver than what we have seen. So him at 57 makes sense, but I do think the Giants need to invest in the interior offensive line. If you're not going interior offensive line or wide receiver, Trenton Simpson, Drew Sanders, Dion Henley, those three. And then I'd be remiss if I did not mention this man, Quan Martin, Dartavius Quan Martin out of Illinois. I don't care that we just invested in the secondary. We could still invest in the secondary, and I think he... Him and Brian Branch, who I'm imagining is gone at this time, can fix a lot of issues and and really do so many different things for Wink Martindale. So that's kind of where my head's at. I like that list. I'll start by saying we'll go position by position. Torrance is a player I would definitely be interested in trading up for if the Giants are interested in trading up for him because that means they believe he can fit their system. And I think as you know, so we had Cy break him, uh, David Cyrus in our podcast, break him down. He says he felt like he was a top 10, top 15 prospect overall. That excites me about getting that trading up for that, that I'm willing to trade up for. I don't want to trade up for either of the centers, Tittman or John Michael Schmitz. I'd rather just wait till next year for better players at that position or just take him at 57. And that's good for me. I, I like either of those players at 57, not players I trade up for. I would trade up for Brian Branch if he starts to fall a little bit, Nick into a range where we can get him. I know we just took a corner, but Brian Branch can play the nickel for us. He can play the safety and play a lot of different positions. I wouldn't trade up for this player, Michael Mayer, but I'd love if he fell to 57. I love Michael Mayer. I feel the same way about Luke Musgrave, um, but less so about Musgrave because I at least know with Mayer I'm going to get a good blocker, and that I like. Darnell Washington and Musgrave, less so on that list. I'm okay with them at 57. Um, Receiver-wise, Tank Dell, I don't think I trade up for him, but if he's sitting at 57, I think I'd be down to take him, dude. I just got to rely on what we saw, and I love this dude. So I just I don't care about the size. I don't care about all the things people knock him for. Josh Downs is small too, and I would consider him at 57 as well. I think it's interesting. There's still a lot of corners I like on the board, and we don't need that. But other players I would consider trading up for, Nick, Dan Henley and Drew Sanders. They're the top of my list of players that if they start to fall into the mid-40s, I am down to trade up for either of those players, whoever the Giants like more. I would rather have Henley, but if they take Sanders, I'm not going to be mad because he's different than Henley, and he's intriguing as, as F-U-C-K because, and hopefully your kids, if they're listening, can't spell either yet, um, because he's intriguing as F-U-C-K because this dude can rush the pass or he can drop in coverage, and that's like perfect for what Wing Barndale wa- wants. Cody Mock is the player who I wouldn't want to trade up for, but I'd be fine at 57 as well. Um Let's see who else on this list that I mentioned. Jalen Hyatt, don't want to trade up for him. Fine at 57 as well. Because with me, like Mims, another player who, again, I'm fine with the 57. And I'll throw, there's three receivers who I'm targeting for round two, I would say. It's Mims, it's Hyatt, and it's Tyler Scott for me. I really like Tyler Scott. He would be the first on the list for me, Tyler Scott. And then it would be the other two. Yeah, I'm just huge on Tyler Scott. But I also wouldn't hate if they took Cedric Tillman and they shot to us. You know what? We told you we love separation. We told you we love all these things. But we're also telling you we need a big body receiver, and we're going to take Cedric Tillman because I do like Cedric Tillman's game as well. So any sure. of those four players would be good for us. Um, I don't know if there's anyone else we're missing. There's Again, there's really good corners. Like we talked about Cam Smith, uh, DJ Turner, Julius Brents, but we just went corner. So I don't think that's as high up on my list. Trenton Simpson. I guess I'd be okay with him at 57. I'm just not really a huge fan. And I think you made a good point. Um, Outside of Branch, I'd be willing to trade up for. I would take uh, Quan Martin, but I'd rather that be at 57 rather than trade up 
And I don't know. Is there anyone else who we're missing here? Like Jonathan Mingo's not a guy I love. I wouldn't want to take him. He was the guy I was going to mention. Yeah. I'm not huge on Jonathan Mingo. I don't know what it is. Michael Wilson I love, but there's the injury profile there. Matthew Bergeron from Syracuse. Bergeron. That's another great call by you. Yeah. Would you trade up for him or just sit at 57 and take him? (laughs) Dude, it's like projection with the guard Mm -hmm. stuff for him. But if the Giants feel comfortable enough to be like, hey, this is a guard and he has tackle upside as being a, a somebody who could take over for Evan Neal if Evan Neal fails, that's not the reason you're drafting him, but it's just right. kind of an upside. He would be your guard for the future. Yeah, I think I would entertain it if he falls and some of those other guards start coming off the board. I'm I'm okay with Joe Shane trading up. You know, he's at 57. That's deep. If some of these top players start flying off, get the right. guys that you believe will complete this roster. And if you got to trade some day three assets for it, and I'm not a big trade up kind of guy, but if you have to do that, I'm okay with that at this point, bro. Agreed. Especially if it's just day three assets. I think I would want to hold at this point after we've given up already a fifth and a seventh, and we gave up a third to get Darren Waller, which people don't forget about that was still part of our off season. At this point with all that said, Nick, I don't want to give up 89. I want 89. I want to keep that third round pick almost no matter what. So now there's some, things that could probably make me change my mind if brian branch just keeps falling and falling and falling maybe i can be talked into it like it's just such good value to get brian like if we can start this draft with deontay banks and brian branch dude that's 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 really good stuff um same could maybe be said about torrance if they feel like he fits his system osiris torrance um or even avila if they really love steve avila right so there are some uh, there's some probable there are probably some ways i can be convinced to give up that third round pick but i would really prefer to do what you said just just the day three picks and even if you have to give one day three pick from next year i'm fine with it friday is my favorite day of the draft nick thursday's fun it's the first night but friday is the real fun for me friday is the real fun and it sets up for saturday which is a bash as well it's a marathon though it is especially in recent drafts where the giants are like 2 30 a.m right now and i have to write a baseball newsletter after this for cbs and i'm not excited about that because i really want to go to sleep let's get you out of here then (laughs) i gotta do deontay banks film i'm gonna be up it's only 11 37 my time though i know you have such a benefit from being out there on on that side but there's a blast i love doing this east coast in terms of yes yes west coast is so much better in terms of time to some extent yes Uh, it is it is, it is, it is. I'll, I'll be honest, it is. But it's not going to be better when I go out there uh, in a week from now and I'm like waking up at six or seven to start work. That's when it becomes a bad thing. Yeah, that sucks. At least for people like me who don't wake up at six and seven normally. I know most of you listen to podcasts like, what do you mean? That's when I normally wake up. And then uh, it's like me who's like writing a fantasy baseball newsletter every night at 2 a.m. It's like, I can't wake up at six every day because then I get no sleep. But um, pick, a hike, pick, a hike. pick a hike. Pick a hike. Yeah. Gonna, I'm gonna keep your oh, ass yeah. on a hike. I got ideas. I have a really good idea that I'm gonna show you uh awesome. at some point. I got fa- I found something interesting near you. Uh I don't know if it's near you. It's, I think it's between you and the Grand Canyon, so it's decently near you. Um that's, but that's anyway, thanks to everybody. Yeah, it's actually kind of far. Thanks to everybody tuning in to the Big Blue Banter Podcast. Keep it locked and loaded. We've got more podcasts coming. Day two recap tomorrow, day three recap the day after that, grades and a final recap on Sunday, UDFA type stuff. So we'll be having podcast and then next week is going to be interesting because i will be traveling for part of the week but we're going to still be knocking out a ton of podcasts especially because i'm trying to get on john schmelk for next week i'm trying to get on ryan wilson to recap the giants draft so get some outside perspective one from inside the organization then one from totally outside the organization who can rob uh you know give that completely unbiased take so anyway thanks again have a great rest of your night and we'll talk to you soon
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.